Get it going again as we've got, I believe this would be what you would call the last edition for the year of the uh, midday program on the Rural Radio Network as we go headlong into a brand new year. And I know that our, our ag department's been out there shaking the bushes trying to find out what people think was the biggest thing going on for the whole year. And Susan Littlefield is here to tell us that we have finally been able to give you the big reveal here today. Very much so, and it comes as no surprise to many, I think, is the fact that China ended its ban on U.S. beef for the first time in 13 years. We were there and covered the event live, and it was pretty exciting to be able to watch that uh, beef, not only just American beef, but beef specifically from Nebraska get loaded into coolers to be shipped out to China. So that was an exciting time, and that would be our number one story for 2017. And you'll be able to hear more about that coming up at 1219 as Bryce will bring you that final story. Speaking of the countdown, it's the final segment as we will talk about tax reform. It's on everybody's list and how it's going to affect our farmers and ranchers. Then, of course, coming up at uh, twelve nineteen, it's weather time, and we all know what this weekend's forecast is looking like. Best bet, just stay home. Mm-hmm. Now, sit around with kids, you know, have your little New Year's party, you know, within your... Uh, home versus being out and about too much uh, don't drive across the state is what we're trying to say because yeah. it's going to definitely be cold so enjoy the festivities locally maybe with some local businesses and stuff and al dutch will bring us all up to date on what we can expect with that weather at uh, twelve nineteen. i'm not sure the term of put another bag of pellets on the fire holds the same charm as uh... no it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't anyway did your uh, did your uh, mucklucks and your uh, nanu cat work for you the other day it did. You know, I was toasty warm on that extremely cold day, and the picture got retweeted a couple times. So <laughs> I did post it to prove that I wore a nano cat yeah. on the on television. You looked like you were reporting from Vladivostok for us. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Susan, thank you very much. All right, Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you, and to you, thanks so much. Here's Jason Jorgensen. It's bowls and bowls of bowls. Yeah, five bowl games on tap today for college football. Most prestigious will be tonight the Cotton Bowl. That is a matchup between a couple of teams that thought they had done enough to make the uh, Final Four for the playoffs. But it's Ohio State getting set to take on USC. It's a good thing they played a Cotton Bowl indoors now because even in (laughs) North Texas, it's pretty chilly with this uh, blast of winter. So we'll preview all of those bowl games that are coming up. Also, we'll talk some Nebraska men's basketball. They play their final non-conference game of the season tonight. They take on Stetson. They're known as the Hatters. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. It does, doesn't it? Now, in the past, these have been the type of games that the Huskers have kind of tripped over themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully that does not happen tonight. Tip-off is set for 7 Central. Also, some hot stove baseball news breaking Wade Davis, former closer for the Royals, had pitched well the last couple of years for the Cubs. He has signed a big contract to close for the Colorado Rockies. No I'll tell you more about that. Three years, $52 million Ooh. to throw a baseball in the ninth inning. Well, you got to be able to throw it fast and right where it's supposed to go. Yep. Yeah, that's the only problem. Otherwise, I'd be doing yeah. it. And so would Bob Brogan. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. No, that's. I'll leave that to the experts. U.S. stock index is edging lower at midday. President Donald Trump is criticizing the U.S. Postal Service. Well, who's left? (laughs) It's all coming up for you today on Midday. 
Let's get Paul Perkins behind a microphone here and do some ag weather for us. Brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And holy smokes, looking at that weather picture, what a difference a state or county line can make. Huh? No doubt. Uh, colder air continuing to sink south across the area. We have 11 in the Nebraska Panhandle at Alliance. And just an hour away in Scotts Bluff, probably if you uh, directly fly to Scotts Bluff, it's less than that. 43 right now at Scotts Bluff. 30-degree <laughs> oh, temperature spread in those areas. We wow. have 28 right now in Imperial and southwest Nebraska to 45 just across the border in Holyoke. And we do have a temperature as warm as 48 right now at Goodland and just across the border in the northeast Colorado and Burlington. They're in the low 50s. But this Arctic air that's moving in here is kind of pushy, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It's a big pushing into the region today ahead of it we are getting that uh, compressed air so that's why those temperatures are warming up quite a bit across the southern nebraska panhandle northeast colorado and northwest kansas those uh, colder conditions are quickly going to be arriving because the temperatures will probably start to drop as we move into the afternoon especially in the panhandle in northeast colorado some strong wind gusts to the west of cheyenne they continue to see some strong winds just to the west of cheyenne some 70 mile an hour wind gusts right now Temperature is expected to be cooler for most of us today with increasing clouds as that cold front continues to drop south into the region. May see a little accumulating snow across northeast Nebraska, South Dakota, and Iowa like we did earlier. Central Nebraska may see some flurries as we get a few more clouds later this afternoon. Our temperatures tonight will drop to near or below zero as more bitter cold air spills into the region. More of that cold air arrives tomorrow with reinforcing shots New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. Wind chills tomorrow and tomorrow night expected to be around 10 to 20 below. A disturbance tomorrow night into Sunday will help to develop some snow. The best chances look to be across northern Nebraska and South Dakota. Could see a little light snow across central Nebraska, especially tomorrow night into very early Sunday. But due to the lack of moisture, just a trace to a few tenths of accumulation are possible. Our best chances are going to be to the north of Interstate 80 if we see any snow at all. Strong high pressure builds in for New Year's Eve. That's when the coldest of the air arrives. Temperatures New Year's Eve night will drop to the teens below zero and wind chills down around 30 below. Temperatures warm up for Tuesday will cool slightly Wednesday and warm slightly back up on Thursday. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. should stay colder than normal Tuesday through January 11th. The bulk of the coldest air, though, expected to be over the eastern U.S. Our precipitation forecast in Nebraska and Kansas expects drier than normal conditions in the middle of next week. Then we'll trend above normal precipitation late next week through January 11th. Weather factors in the market include scattered rain in Argentina and a beneficial precipitation trend in Brazil. Cold, breezy weather across the plains, Midwest, Mid-South, and the Northeast will result in potentially dangerous conditions. The weekend temperatures could plunge to as cold as 40 below across parts of the northern plains and upper Midwest. Sub-zero ratings may occur as far south as northern Texas. And early next week, we could see freezes reach the deep south of Texas. Now, in parts of the plains and Midwest, there's little or no snow cover, and concerns are growing for wheat damage from the cold. The extreme cold will stress the livestock across the northern plains. Snow is possible, but shouldn't be a major event. In Argentina, rain favorable for developing crops in the forecast for Cordoba, Santa Fe, and northern Buenos Aires. In between those storms, any heat stress should be limited. It's a bit different, though, in southwest Argentina, where growing areas are getting drier and periodically hot. Central Brazil's favorable and beneficial combination of 
Periods of rain and seasonal temperatures looks to continue for a while. Dryness concerns in southern Brazil have ended in Rio Grande do Sul with the continuation of rain in their forecast. Conditions remain favorable towards Piranha and Mato Grosso do Sul with more rain chances in their next five days. Ag weather on KRVN, a presentation of Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, and tonight, especially New Year's Eve night, these are do-not-mess-around temperatures. No, you know, you can get frostbite, you know, at a drop of a hat if you have any kind of exposed skin with this. Uh, bundle up, get yourself covered up. Of course, get the uh, pets inside, and or at least make sure they have some warm shelter to be in because we are looking at some very... Very cold temperatures starting tomorrow and lasting through New Year's Day. Yeah, but you uh, livestock people, you know what to do, so definitely, of course, do it. And, uh, yeah, dangerous situations out there, so make sure those who you are partying with are aware and uh, help each other out a little bit here. It's nothing to sneeze at, although we'll probably be sneezing by the time it's all over. <laughs> Very cold, yeah, New Year's <laughs> night. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Reporting outbreaks of highly pathogenic H5N2 bird flu. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Russia has reported an outbreak of the H5N2 bird flu on a farm in the Kostromyskaya Oblast region. The Paris-based World Organization for Animal Health said today the disease was detected on December 17th and has led to the culling of more than 660,000 birds, the OIE said, citing a report from the Russia Ministry of Agriculture. It did not specify the type of birds that were infected. And the U.S. Meat Export Federation has filed comments with the Mexican government regarding its concerns about the country's beef grading standards. Mexico's system closely resembles the one used by the U.S. Department of Agriculture using the names Prime, Choice, Select, and Standard. However, where it's different is the government's plan to use the names interchangeably. The USMEF says the plan will create confusion in the beef marketplace and diminish the value that the U.S. beef industry derives from the USDA grading system. Other differences between the Mexican and American systems include marble scoring and the procedures used to determine carcass grade. Those differences make the interchangeable use of English and Spanish grade names problematic. USMEF says beef carrying any of the Mexican grades will not be comparable to beef that's been given a parallel USDA grade. This will pose a problem in the marketplace as those grades represent standards that are well known in Mexico and around the world as they've been used many years. USMEF wants the Mexican grading system, which the government wants to make mandatory to stay voluntary and for the government to remove the English grade names from their program. And while advanced biofuels are still thought of as the next generation of renewable fuels, corn-based ethanol still makes up most of the nation's fuel supply. In addition to reducing the carbon footprint for America's vehicles, bio-based ethanol was supposed to provide jobs to rural communities and give farmers new revenue sources. Ten years' worth of federal incentives were supposed to encourage investment in cellulosic technologies, but just three plants have been built in the Midwest since 2014. Cellulosic ethanol is much harder to manufacture than grain ethanol because it uses the inedible parts of plants, making it harder for machines to process. Cellulosic companies also faced challenges like finding a steady supply, fluctuating markets, and stalled policy decisions. Of the three major plants in the Midwest, the one in Kansas went up for sale in 
2016, DuPont announced in November that it's looking for a buyer to take over its plant in Nevada, Iowa. That just leaves Project Liberty in Emmitsburg, Iowa. The industry also wasn't helped by the Environmental Protection Agency, which lowered 2018's cellulosic ethanol mandate in the renewable fuel standard, but not by as much as it initially proposed. And a petition circulating through Colorado is calling for the National Western Stock Show to end a popular event in its program lineup. The mutton-busting competition and an animal rights group is calling cruel and barbaric. An online petition was started by a woman in the United Kingdom, and it's gained 82,000 signatures. An activist with the group Direct Action Everywhere out of Colorado, Aiden Cook, claims the entire Western Stock Show is a very violent event. A statement from the Stock Show says the National Western Stock Show takes animal welfare and safety seriously. Every mutton-busting event has strict rules that are enforced for the safety of both the animals and the children. You can find more on that story as well as all of our ag audio and video by visiting RuralRadio.com. Have a very happy new year in 2018 from all of us at the Rural Radio Network. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters, and that's a quick check of your midday ag news. the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters, and as we approach the end of 2017, many things on our plate headed into 2018, and here to visit with us today about some of those things, especially particularly for cattlemen, is the Nebraska Cattlemen's Executive Vice President, Pete McClymont, and Pete, we're going to jump right in and talk about the upcoming session. It's a short one this year. That is true. So the first year of the biennium is a 90-day session, which was 2017, but in 2018, it will be the short session, meaning a 60-day session, and it will conclude in mid-April. So obviously, top of the list for everybody is there's been a lot of frustration. A lot of people have really put some effort into moving the needle for tax reform and tax relief. And so the Nebraska Cattlemen leadership has been front and center and working with the governor, other state legislators, and trying to make a difference. And so it's it's exciting, we're hopeful, and we're going to be at the table throughout the entire process for reform, tax reform, and relief for our members and beef producers across the state. Now we're going to take it a little bit wider scope now and look at some national issues. Of course, the ELD mandate and air emissions were two big things that kind of came down to the wire in 2017, and definitely things we'll be looking at in 2018. That is correct. And so at the federal level, FMCSA announced a 90-day waiver for ag haulers. So the compliance deadline for livestock haulers is now March 18th of 2018. So we've been working very hard. Uh, NC staffer Jesse Herman has spent a tremendous amount of time trying to make a difference on this for producers. We've engaged haulers and we are at the table at the national level as well with our elected officials. So that's important and we want to see some movement there to recognize the difference between hauling dry goods and live animals. On the air emissions reporting standard, obviously the uh, Washington, D.C. Circuit Court um, recently invalidated the longstanding exemption for animal feeding operations under a 1,000 head. And this is important to protect our ranchers to make sure that they are not encroached upon by some of these uh, environmental groups that want to find out more about what we're doing. So until that ruling comes down, our uh, strong recommendation is not report. So then you go on to the federal tax reform, which happened before Christmas. And so 
the exemption for the death tax is now doubled. For a couple, it's $20 million. For an individual, it's uh, $10 million. So that's a really good thing there. And a couple other things just to finish up quickly on last Friday, the Department of Ag released knowledge of a TB case found in Wheeler County. And so the, it traces back to South Dakota. And obviously, the state vet is working diligently, so the particulars around it are really uh, helpful and not going to have to be a widespread testing. So we're actively working with the Department of Ag. And lastly, uh, we've done this. This will be our third year. We're going to have a tour for members to go to Australia, and that will be April 28th to May 10th. And so uh, it's going to be exciting. And since please call the NC office to learn more about that great trip we have coming up. Okay, thanks so much. Pete McClymon, Executive Vice President with the Nebraska Cattlemen, talking about some of the issues that popped up in 2017 that we will carry over into 2018. Also, the upcoming short session in Nebraska legislature and the TB case in Nebraska and the Australia trip. For more on any of this, visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening here to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and our chance to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, playoff snubbed Ohio State battles USC tonight in the Cotton Bowl in Arlington. The matchup of conference champions takes place in the same stadium where the Buckeyes won their first championship in the four-team college football playoff three years ago. Fifth-ranked Buckeyes and eighth-ranked Trojans both have 11 wins, and head coach Urban Meyer feels this is quite the matchup. We're two conference champions playing against each other, and I don't think that should ever be lost in the uh, conversation piece of what college football is really all about. The Buckeyes haven't lost more than two games in any of their six seasons under Meyer. Pac-12 champion USC is trying to reach 12 wins for the first time since 2008. This is the eighth postseason meeting between the two. First seven were all in the Rose Bowl, the last one coming 33 years ago. Elsewhere in college football action at this time, it's the Belk Bowl as Wake Forest is playing Texas A&M. Later on this afternoon, it's the Sun Bowl between NC State and Arizona State. At 3.30 Central Time, it's the Music City Bowl as Northwestern battles Kentucky. And at 4.30 Central Time, it's the Arizona Bowl as Utah State battles New Mexico State. Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield missed immediate availability for the Rose Bowl for the second time this week. Team spokesman said Mayfield was not feeling well today, but other than that, there was no official word on his condition. He also didn't make the Sooners' trip to Disneyland on Wednesday when he was scheduled to meet reporters. Mayfield was at practice on Wednesday and yesterday, but most of the practice is closed to the media. The second-ranked Sooners take on third-ranked Georgia in the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl on Monday. The buyout for fired Arkansas football coach Brett Milama's contract has been set at $15.4 million. The Arkansas Democrat Gazette obtained a copy of the agreement between Bielema and the Razorback Foundation under the state's open records law. The buyout proposal matches an amount listed in Bielema's public employment contract with the university. He was fired back on November 24th after the team went 4-8. and eight. Well, the Nebraska women's basketball team held 12th-ranked Ohio State to its second-lowest point total of the season, but it wasn't enough. So Ohio State won it last night, 73-61. The Husker men tonight, they'll finish up non-conference action as they host Stetson. And closer Wade Davis has agreed to a three-year, $52 million deal with the Colorado Rockies. The team is able to add the best reliever on the free agent market to an already deep bullpen for its highest-per-year salary ever at his position. 
That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgens. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Wind chill advisory in north central Nebraska late tonight and into Saturday. Otherwise, it'll be uh, western and northern areas, a slight chance of snow, flurries in the east and central. Lows from one above to nine below zero tonight in Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Three people have died in an early morning fire yesterday in southwest Nebraska. Authorities responded to uh, residents about one and a half miles south of Indianola. Indianola Fire Chief Tom Davidson says a single-story house was engulfed in flames, and firefighters spent most of the day yesterday battling those flames. Four people lived in the home. Only one was able to escape. None of the people inside the house were identified. The Nebraska State Fire Marshal's office is leading the investigation. A man arrested in Tennessee in the fatal shootings of his parents and niece in Omaha has agreed to return to Nebraska to face murder charges. 46-year-old John Dalton Jr. waived his right to an extradition hearing in Jackson, Tennessee, where he was captured on Wednesday. Dalton is charged with first-degree murder in the killings of 70-year-old John Dalton Sr. and 65-year-old Gene Dalton on Tuesday. His 18-year-old niece, Liana Dalton Phillip, also was killed. Records show Dalton previously pleaded guilty to manslaughter in the 1998 shooting death of his wife, Shannon Dalton. He went to prison and was paroled in 2010 on that charge. Authorities say Dalton also fled to Tennessee within days of that shooting. Kansas Senate President Susan Wagle says training for lawmakers, employees, and interns is the first step for the Kansas legislature in addressing sexual harassment. Annual training for legislators, employees, interns, and lobbyists was among the recommendations released Friday by the Women's Foundation. The current policy hasn't changed since 1994 and does not require regular training. New York City's fire commissioner says a stairwell acted like a chimney and quickly spread a deadly fire that was started by a child playing with a stove. Commissioner Daniel Nigro said that the three-and-a-half-year-old boy had a history of playing with stove burners. Twelve people, including four children, were killed in the Bronx apartment building fire Thursday night. The bitterly cold weather that is in store for large areas of eastern United States this weekend is giving President Donald Trump another chance to question climate change. He tweeted that eastern states could use a little bit of that good old global warming. Trump has called global warming a hoax. In his tweet, Trump failed to note the difference between the weather and the climate. Weather refers to short-term atmospheric conditions, whereas climate is a long view of weather patterns. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Welcome back now on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. As 2018 nears, we continue our countdown to the new year with the biggest agriculture stories from 2017. Picture this. National Cattlemen's Beef Association President and Nebraska Cattleman Craig Uden standing next to the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue as the two slice a prime rib roast all happening in a Beijing hotel. Now you can imagine that 
Or just look at the picture which was snapped on June 30th, 2017, when China and the United States reached an agreement and a 13-year ban on beef imports into the country. The official announcement was made June 12th. It was part of a bilateral agreement which began under the Obama administration and was then finalized under President Donald Trump. As expected, there was much excitement following the announcement. And CBA President Craig Uden. Being locked out of the world's largest market for 13 years, we welcome this announcement. This is an issue we've been working on for over a decade, and it's great to see it come to fruition. Chinese market means access to 1.4 billion new customers of U.S. beef. Right now, with a growing middle class that's larger than the entire United States population, these middle class consumers are buying record amounts of protein, and China is becoming one of the greatest importers of beef in the world. With that said, with trade accounting for over $300 a head and growing demand internationally for U.S. beef, that number will continue to grow, bringing more value back to uh, the U.S. cattle producers. This is really good news, great news for the cattle producers, and we appreciate the Trump administration for prioritizing U.S. beef. The agreement took time. Kent Backus, NCBA Director of National Trade, explained the work that had to be done behind the scenes. Uh, this latest announcement really focuses more, I think, on talking about the culmination of, of all the meetings for the technical discussion. And so that's what we're hoping to see here in the very near future. I think it's also important to realize that with this July deadline in place, you know, we're hopeful to see those details from the protocol here very soon. Uh, there's a goal of trying to restore beef access or have beef arrive in China by a deadline, the latest of July 16, 2017. Well, that's not too far away. And so it's a priority for both the U.S. government and the Chinese government to have this protocol finalized and ready to go so that we can start sending beef to the Chinese customers. And, of course, with the agreement came certain requirements. Shaley Peters reported on those requirements soon after the announcement came. Yesterday, USDA posted the requirements for exporting U.S. beef to China, something producers and packers have been waiting on, and Joe Shealy with U.S. Meat Export Federation says they're favorable for the U.S. Well, there's a lot to like in the agreement. Uh, there were several uh, several aspects of the agreement that were better, for example, than what other beef exporting countries have been able to achieve with China. We got a, a very broad range of, of items from the carcass approved, including a lot of offal items, variety meat items uh, that other countries have not been able to export to China, and so we were very pleased to see that. Also got approval for chilled beef. Uh, when I say chilled, that means it's never are frozen, so that tends to go to the higher end uh, restaurant sector and to the higher end supermarkets. They want product that's never been frozen. Sheely said the fact that we can ship chilled beef is important because it's something other competing countries have struggled with. Even with all of the excitement in the air, Kent Backus with NCBA was back cautioning that the return on investment could take a few years. We realize that China's going to be a slow growth market. We're going to see for the first couple of years just trying to develop the supply chains and then trying to develop the cattle here in the U.S. So I think it'll be uh, probably two or three years where we start to see significant volumes of beef going into China. But when you consider the volume of the Chinese market, they have one-fifth of the world's population, for the middle class that's larger than the entire U.S. population, we'd be fools not to explore this market. And they have a real hunger for beef. Just in the last five years, uh, they've really started to import record numbers of beef from other countries like Australia and Brazil and New Zealand. 
Uh, and now that we're part of that market, we're going to be able to capitalize on that high-end grain, grain finished market that those other countries aren't meeting. So uh, we really haven't even scratched the surface on the potential in China. We look forward to what the future holds for U.S. beef in China. So what has that future looked like thus far as we are wrapping up 2017? Through October of 17, Nebraska exported more than half of the total share of U.S. beef to China, which is according to data released from the United States Department of Agriculture's Foreign Agriculture Service. Nebraska's beef exports to China were at 8.7 million, a 50.5% share of U.S. total of 17.2 million. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts said growing agriculture through trade continues to be a top priority for my administration. For years, Nebraskans have been working together with federal officials to reopen the Chinese beef market, and my administration continued that work with visits to China in 15 and 16. When China agreed for the first time since 2003 to open its beef market to the United States, Ricketts said, Nebraska was ready and shipped the first beef to China within days of the announcement. Farmers and ranchers agree that sending beef to China for the first time in 13 years was an important factor of 2017. In a recent poll question on Twitter by the Rural Radio Network, 116 people took part in a poll asking the question, what was the biggest agriculture story in 2017? A majority of people, which was 35% in this case, said beef to China was the biggest story. We'll continue our countdown to the new year with the biggest agriculture stories from 2017 on our 117 feature this afternoon. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the Rural Radio Network. Shortly before the close for the year, soybeans have rallied to near session highs or on the highs of the day. Corn still a little bit lower, wheat mixed. Hard red winter wheat futures slightly higher due to expected cold weather and possible damage to the winter wheat crop. March corn, 351. May, 359 and a quarter, both down one. Next December, 384 and a quarter, down one and a quarter. January soybeans on its high, 952 and three quarters, up seven. March, 962 and a quarter, up five and a half. November, 976, up three and a quarter. Chicago March wheat, 427 and a quarter, down a half. May, 440 and a half, down a quarter. Kansas City March wheat, 427 and a quarter, up a half. May, 441 and a quarter, up one. Minneapolis March wheat, 615, down four. Live cattle settled mostly lower in the front months. Feeder cattle were higher, lean hogs mostly lower. December live cattle settled a dollar fifty-five lower at 123 even. February settled 121.55, down 70. April 122.42, down 32. June at 113.65, down 17. January feeders finished 40 higher at 146 even. March feeder cattle 142.67, up 45. April 143.07, up 40. May 142.67, up 50. August 146.62, up 55. February hogs, 71.77, that was up 22. The rest of the months lower. April down 5 at 75.65. Latest from Wall Street, the Dow down 40 at 24,797. NASDAQ down 23 at 6,927. And the S&P 500 down 3 at 2,682. Next, we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Well, let's wrap up 2017 in these livestock futures trade and what you saw today. 
Well, it was pretty quiet, actually. I, I can't say it was... It, it looked more like uh, just people uh, getting out for the end of the year and uh, and without, uh, without really a, a meaningful uh, cash trade, uh, we kind of slipped... Uh, after opening higher, and and the December contract went off uh, at a dollar fifty-five lower after being higher all day long. Right at the end, just straight down, and uh, that's mainly because we just didn't have a cattle trade. And the February, April, and June followed suit and fell off uh, to close lower. But it was a quiet session. Uh, Cutouts were a little higher at noon, but uh, didn't really have much of an effect. Uh, so it was a quiet ending. The feeders uh, managed to close higher, moderately higher, uh, nothing uh, very special there either. In the hogs, uh, the uh, February closed higher, the rest of them uh, closing lower. Cash seemed to be uh, steady firm, and uh, the cutouts were higher for the hogs also, but uh, just didn't uh, matter because of the premiums that the uh, futures are carrying to the index. I'd like to wish everybody a merry, a very happy New Year and a very prosperous New Thanks, Joe. The best to you and yours at uh, Great Plains Commodities as well. Total cattle slaughter for this week, holiday shortened week, 502,000, 13,000 less than the holiday shortened week of one year ago. Hog slaughter for this week, 2,107,000 would be 39,000 more than the holiday period of one year ago. Dewey Nelson reporting. Welcome back now to the Rural Radio Network. Bryce Duskit joining you one last time in 2017 as we wrap up our countdown to the new year, looking back on the biggest agriculture stories from 2017. One of those big stories happened just recently, tax reform at the federal level. Many say it'll be positive for agriculture, so we caught up with Paul Niefer, principal with Clifton Larson Allen out of Washington State, to see what it all means for agriculture, specifically farmers and ranchers. Probably the three biggest benefits they're going to see is the extra 20% uh, reduction in taxable income from their farming operations. Now, in some cases, if they're selling a crop via a co-op, the deduction can be even higher than if they're not selling to a co-op. So we have to go through all that to... Uh, type process as far as calculating. Another is that actually beginning in 17, after September 27th of 17, farmers can now duck to 100% of their equipment purchases, building purchases, everything but land is going to be 100% deductible after this uh, September 27th of 17 through the end of 2022. So that's a pretty good provision for farmers. And then third, the reduction in rates. The, almost all the rates, especially in the middle part of the of the uh, spectrum, have been reduced anywhere from 10 to almost 20 percent. So uh, farmers likely are going to see a pretty good size tax reduction compared to um, and, you know the 2017 return, assuming they're going to have taxable income. And you know right now with the farm economy, that's uh, you know that can be a little bit tricky. People have heard a couple numbers being thrown around that these, this tax reform will expire by year 22, year 25, etc. Let's clear the air. What's going to happen? Actually, a lot of them expire at the end of 2025, and the reason they're in place in order for the Senate to get it through their uh, part of the tax bill process, they had to show an expiration date. Otherwise, it was going to increase that deficit over 10 years beyond the $1.5 trillion. So they had to sort of sunset all those nice provisions 
in order for them to get the bills this through. Now they've said that they're going to go ahead and extend those. You know, we're back to the dreaded extenders that we have every year or every other year. Uh, so this is just not going to be a fun process uh, after 2025, and that's assuming that the tax bill even stays intact through that time period. You know, if we get the Democrats back in control in in both the presidency and the uh, in the House and the Senate, uh, you know, they may reverse some of this stuff. So it, it's just hard. And it, it's just going to be messy over the next 10 years. We know that. Talking with Paul Neifer, he's a principal with Clifton Larson Allen out of Washington State. Paul, anything negative to agriculture inside of this tax reform? Yeah, the only thing that pops or some of the items that may be negative to to farmers are if they have a fair amount of high revenues, they're above $25 million in average gross receipts, such as a large feedlot operation. Uh, there's a provision that says that they can only deduct interest expense against 30% of their adjusted income. There's an election that those farmers can go ahead and make to actually deduct 100% of their interest expense, but to offset it, they're not allowed to take bonus depreciation, that thing where you can deduct 100% of your equipment purchases on any asset with a 10-year life or greater, and they have to spread it out. Instead of deducting over 10 years, they might have to deduct over 15 or 20 years. Almost everything else in there is either not a negative or fairly much a positive. That was Paul Niefer. Thanks for that information. Paul, tax reform rounds out our countdown to the new year with the biggest stories from 2017. We'll see you in 2018. I'm Bryce Duskin. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. All right, is exciting the word to use for the trade today? Oh, boy. I, I don't know. I'd be a uh, stretch to go deep in my vocabulary to find the description of this trade. I, I think optimistic is the way I'd look at it. Wheat uh, closing a decent rally here the last week of the trade. Soybeans as well getting off the mat a little bit. Corn right around 351. Um, but uh, all in all, I would say not a horrible price here given to where we are. I know I know a lot of folks feel in pain with um, the, the prices being somewhat down, but just for the year, front month, uh, prices year over year we're down a penny. Uh, 352 was the March 17th contract close at this time a year ago. We're at 351 here on the uh, March 18. Now that doesn't mean prices weren't down. The carry in March 18 a year ago was at 405. So really we've seen a 50 cents of price depreciation through the supply chain over the last year. But from month prices really haven't changed, and I think that's incredibly supportive going forward. A year ago, we saw a rally on that March contract up to 385 before it fell apart into the expiration. I expect similar price action this year with the funds short 432,000 contracts outright relative to 270,000 a year ago. So tremendous amount of short covering. And as far as the, the, the story of supply, that's essentially written in my opinion. And the soybean trade today, well, it did rally, and that was despite maybe the charts signaling otherwise. I, I You know, beans, again, much like a year ago, right around the 960 level. Um, you know, soybean meal right at these price levels where you'd think there'd be some support. I look for a, a good start to 2018. We're going to have some weather problems down in Brazil, I imagine, South America, combined with, uh, you know, good demand. And I think demand is kind of the story here in some of these outside markets. When you're looking at crude oil, you're looking at cotton, um, you know, the demand stories tend to push price. And I think with, with beans, demand is there. We're just trying to sort through what the South American supply is going to look like in the shorter run. And the hard red winter wheat futures are geared for possible higher uh, prices like they were today. 
Yeah, we're about 18 off the lows from just three weeks ago. So I think we've, you know, we're seeing the correction made, um, you know, comparable to a year ago, kind of similar price action. We saw a move up from 420, 430 on that March 17 contract up to the 460 level. I don't know if we have that into in it this year, but uh, the weather certainly is going to be a factor in the shorter run. And, and Australian crop being tighter, I think, is going to be a, a factor as well. So I like being long the three-row crop grains. I think given the short supply picture and given the fact that all these other commodity markets have rallied, I think 2018 is going to be shaping up for a much better year. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.